If you turn to Genesis chapter 6, I am going to attempt to do the impossible today. You're like, some of you might know what scripture is coming up if you've been looking into it. Some of you have probably been wondering if I'm going to cover it or not, or I'm going to gloss over it. Well, I am going to cover it this morning. So the, t- the text today is Genesis chapter 6. So I'd encourage you to uh, have your Bible there and look at it. And we're going to go through it as well, and most of the verses will be on the screen. But my goal this morning, overarchingly, is to show you that obedience to God, obedience to God and His Word, faith in God, is necessary for a healthy kingdom here on earth. Faith in God and trust in His Word for us is massive. We can't just side skirt the issues. And so uh, we'll see here, I believe, in particular, the area of marriage, of where God says it's so important to trust him in it. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you will see it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took their, as their wives as they choose. Now, let me, just for a hand, who knew that this is one of the most uh, mysterious uh, pieces of Scripture? Raise your hand. Okay, so I'm opening it up to you then. Verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. So he's going through thoughts here. So we're going to get back to this first one for a second. Go ahead back to the first one. When man began to multiply, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives as they choose. So there are two different ways. There are three that people say, I'm going to narrow it down to two. There are two ways that you can, using the Bible, unpack this and understand it. In a sense, I think we've overcomplicated it. So this is, this is one of the most, the, the biggest issues that is coming up or that has been coming up in, in the past hundreds of years is what this means. Verse 4 goes on to say, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So, go back again to verse 1. He makes a statement. Something's going on here, the sons of man. Then in verse 3, he goes on and he makes an observation. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. So, you've got a thought process that started, verse 1 and 2. Then you've got another thought process, another sentence that says, Instead of like Methuselah, who lived 969 years, he's going to limit man's age of life to 120. Now, that is just a general statement. Moses lived that. But it's just for you to see that in the the ways of old, it was different. They lived 900-some years, and God reduced it. So that's a thought. 
Then you go to verse 4, and we come up with another thought, the Nephilim. Many people translate that as giants. They're saying that's giants. They say they were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. So we're going to address verses 1 and 2, but I want you to see that this is another statement, another thought. The Nephilim were there. They were there in those days, and they were there afterward. And the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. First thought, the first one, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tip my cap. I'm not going to tell you which, I am going to tell you what I believe. The first one, which I think is easier to just sway people with, is that chapter 4 and 5 are talking about the genealogies of Cain and the genealogies of Seth. And the genealogy of Cain was one that was frivolous with sin and debauchery, and the one of Seth is the one that Noah would eventually come into. And so that many say, many people in the past have said that chapter 6 is talking about that the sons of Seth saw the women of Cain, and they found them attracted, and they went in and they had relationship with them and they ended up getting married. And they would call that, and this is not, this is, um, they would just marry outside of the family, so to speak. So you know that the Bible is very clear in so many ways how important it is that when you choose someone to marry, that they are of like-mindedness with us. That we cannot, in a sense, if you're a Christian, you are not called to marry a non-Christian. And I'm not saying if you're in that place right now that it's all over and that's not the case, and I don't have time to unpack that, but it's saying that God's best is this. And so the view one is that, again, four and five, you see the sons of Seth, the sons and daughters of Seth, the sons and daughters of Cain, they went and they intermarried with each other, and it caused problems. But then we get to verse one and two, and it talks about the sons of man. That term is only used five times in the Old Testament. Five times. Um, one of them is here. The next one that's recorded is Job chapter one, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So you see the phrase, sons of God. Satan showed up. You should know the, the pretext of this is, you know, Job's getting ready to be afflicted and, and Satan comes on the scene. And the host of heaven, the curtains are drawn back so you can see what's going on. Next time is in Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. There's again, sons of God. So Genesis 6, Job 1 and 2, sons of God. Then later on in Job chapter 38, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there's another thing, the sons of God. Lastly, Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. He answered and said, But if I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth 
is like a son of the gods. That's the one that's sort of a little bit, it's not exact translation, but it's really close. So if you remember in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, there and all of a sudden the fourth figure shows up and they are untouched by the flame. And so they there is like the appearance of the Son of God. So you see that contextually, sons of God is not, it's not uh, intermingled, intertwined with being a child of the king. It's not like me going, I am a son of God and, or a daughter of God. You can say that. We can say that. That's fine. But in the Old Testament, it is incredibly clear that this all the way through is talking about heavenly creatures. You can't, there's nothing made up. There's no other translation in this. So not only does the Old Testament hold that truth, let's look a little bit to the New Testament. First, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And before we read it, I want you to get the, the context. Peter is talking to the Christians of that time and saying, things are getting ready to be really hard for you. They're getting ready to get bad. And I hear that from some Christians these days. It's like, things are going to get bad. Things are going to get bad. And Peter spoke to that. And he says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to change of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the ungodly. Verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So Peter's looking. He's saying things are going to get rough, but he points back to Genesis. And he says, if God, verse 4, for if God did not spare angels that sinned, Many, the people who go after the first thought are ones who would say that this is talking about the ultimate, the fall of man, or the fall of the angels. But he's referencing and he's tying in Sodom, and he's referencing Noah. He's saying that this is more relevant, I believe, in that. So if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them out, what's going to happen? Is God going to be there for you? Now we only also see it in Jude, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. If you recall, the men of Sodom were attracted to the angels who came and visited sexually. So you see that there is a, there is a viewpoint, I, I believe, in Genesis 6 that is saying that the angels looked down and saw that the women were attractive, and they 
went outside of God's order for them. They left their earth heavenly dwelling. They came down. They, inter, they interacted. They had relationship with the women of the time. And it was not something that God said was good. So you got to begin to contrast, compare and contrast what God says is good and what he says isn't. And you're seeing after Seth... You see how Cain went, and it wasn't good. You see the angels come down, and it wasn't good. You see that man living long wasn't good because he says things are evil in that time. And it continues to compound until you see that he references Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the arguments that could be for this, against this thought, is when he says, or Jesus says in Matthew 22, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Okay, so that makes people think, wait a minute, angels don't marry. Again, if you take the context, and this is so important in the Bible, if you, have, if you are a 101 Christian Bible study person, you're not going to dig into these things and see how big the picture is. If you don't dig into this question and go, hey, this, this is not something I'm going to gloss over, then, then how important is the Bible, is, does it mean to you? How important is it to you, to me? If we just go, oh, I don't really know what that means. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to find something that applies to me. It all applies to us. But God was very clear in saying that the angels disobeyed, they came down, and that they will meet their judgment. Now, I don't want to to nerd you out on Bible stuff, and I, I'm afraid I can start to lose you here for a moment. So I'm about to, to end on this part. A lot of the belief that the Nephilim were giants and were uh, it was Seth and Canaan, all that stuff, is this. It came from the book of Enoch. And uh, it's sort of called the Enochian view. And what uh, a large amount of theologians say is that Christians or humans wanted to place the responsibility of the fall before Sodom and Gomorrah on the bad angels. That it was their fault that that happened. But that in verse 4, when you see the Nephilim, that they're still abode people who were trustworthy and faithful on the earth. So even though the angels did poorly and man did poorly in so many ways, there were still people who were faithful. Let's move on to verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Parents, I'm not saying it goes this deep, but I want to say this. When our kids are struggling and they're doing their own thing, do you grieve? Yeah, yeah, right? We grieve. It's sad. 
God is an emotional God, and we're studying this on Sunday nights in our, in our large group meeting. God has things in his repertoire of anger and, and, and uh, just sadness, and we see this again here. So I'm sorry that I've made him. It's his thought. Now look at what Kay Matthew says. God's response of grief over the making of humanity, however, is not remorse in the sense of sorrow over a mistaken creation. Our verse shows that God's pain has its source in the perversion of human sin. The making of man is no error. It is what man has made of himself. So my question, what are you making of yourself? I can speak to the world. I can speak to the atrocities that are going on all around us. But it's very interesting that the Bible always points to me. God's word is to his people. What are you making of yourself? Are you finding favor in God's eyes with what you're doing? Man left, man and women left to themselves will go after, we'll go after our own ways. It just will. It's in us. It's there. We just do what pleases us. And frankly, if you cannot see the results of that in our contemporary culture, you are blind. There's grace there. There's grace for mistakes that have been made here. Many of you have received that. And I just want to say, I just want to, as an aside, there is grace for you. If you've made a mistake in these areas, there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. God is good all the time. He will work that out for you. But at this point, right now, I'm asking you, are you pressing in after the Lord and trusting his word and not doing what you want to do like the angels on the earth and like the sons of Cain? Making and picking whatever verse in the Bible suits you, making it fit your narrative. So the world is growing in this time Perversion is growing in this time, but we have hope again. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw it, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make room in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits above, and set the door in the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood on the waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh 
in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And that's, that's deep. Many of you who are very compassionate and empathetic towards people, this will press you. This will be hard to swallow. Verse 18 says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you and keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of flood or food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded to them. So beyond verse chapter one through four, I want, to, I want you to see this. Noah is like another Adam. Noah is like another Adam. And I want to just point out to you some ways with which that is. In Genesis 1.28, Adam is told, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Genesis 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his son to send to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In Genesis 1, verse 28, he says to Adam, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. In Genesis 9, 2, he says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands, they are delivered. Genesis 1, all creation, God creates man in his own image. Genesis 9, after the flood, God said, God made man in his own image. In chapter 3, we see bloodshed um, from sin. We see Adam and Eve's clothes were made by God to cover them. We see after the flood, Noah sacrificed animals on the altar to God, to his dependence of God for salvation. But the two that for, sort of find me interesting, I find interesting, are that Adam had three sons and Noah had three sons. And out of one son, there was blessing from on Adam's side and the same thing from Noah. But even bigger, catch this. If you know your Bible... Adam fell from taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He took and ate. What did Noah fall from? Fruit of the vine. He got drunk. He got way drunk. And, and there's, there's, there's lessons to this. Yes, I can talk about alcohol, or I can talk about eating, I can talk about all this stuff, but there's lessons. One lesson is that early on in Adam's life, he fell. He messed up big time. 
But after God had shown Noah all this stuff and he had built this honking boat and it was dry, it never rained before. After all that, they got in the boat, God sealed it, water came, they were saved, got out of the boat, God spoke to them. After all that, Noah messed up greatly. So my personal take from this, although I have a lot of things I can say I've messed up, is that my life's not over yet. Something poignant that I or you could allow take place could happen that could be a blotch on our faithfulness to God. And I just don't want that to happen. You feel me with that? It's like, you know, you might have said that I'm more like Adam, that maybe it was earlier on and now I'm good. But I'm like going, man, even now, I don't know how good I am. I frankly know that my life verse used to be, my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. But that is true. The reformers call it, uh, they call it total depravity or utter depra- or just depravity of the heart where we seek after our own way. We do what we want to do. And I'm just like, it is prevalent everywhere. So God is saying this. I believe in Genesis 6. Let's go back to Genesis 4. That the people that follow after him, he will bless. I'm sorry, I was talking about Genesis chapter 4. Don't, you don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 4 says, you, you follow after me, you'll be blessed. Genesis 5 says, you choose to do things your own way, you won't be blessed. Genesis 6 says, it even gets worse that even the angels of heaven went down and made it that much worse. And the whole world was corrupt because of all those things. And God will come back and he will judge that. This is not the part that all of our, like if I were to go on TV today and I were to go, there is a judgment to be had on this earth and if you do not follow after God, your life will end someday and you will be apart from him forever. Is that a popular notion today? Yeah, anyone gonna say yes to that? It's like, yeah, I love that. But we see judgment to Adam. We see judgment to uh, the, the world in this time in the days of Noah And the Bible foretells that there will be another judgment. And it says that he will divide the sheep between the goats, between his followers and those who do not follow. Where do you stand on that? What does the world tell you? What do you see in the world? What do we see in schools now? What do we see in politics now? Both sides. Almost everything is acceptable. Both sides. And maybe the ones who are crying isn't acceptable. It's all about judgment and not about this could be me in this case. It's just, it's just, it's either the old school judgmental legalistic stuff or it's just, hey, anything goes. What do you see back in Genesis 6? People and angels, in my opinion, did what they wanted to do, got outside of God's care and paid the price for it. 
Folks, it is especially true in the church. When the church goes the way of the world and does what it wants to do because it is comfortable for us, what is comfortable for us instead of what God is saying to do, we will face judgment. Some say, and I don't know where I am with this, that we are in this in America where we are because of the failure of the church, and part of me agrees with that. So if I'm going to say that, and we went through back in the fall, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about anger, we talked about lust, we talked about forgiveness, we talked about reconciliation, we talked about giving of every part of us over to God and trusting him with it. Is that where you have been walking? I know many of you are in the process right now, and I thank God for it. Because I see the test, I hear the testimonies, and I see the effort being made. But are you changing? Because God is changing you, or are you running from being transformed into his likeness? Church, God's word is there to guard and protect us. It's not meant to make us miserable. It's not make us to make us like was in my, uh, dad would remember in my childhood, the good Lord, the church was saying I couldn't listen to glad. And if you knew what glad is, like acapella music, it's scary. Like that was sinful. But are we living a life that is pleasing to God? Can it be like that we're like Noah, that God looks down on us and says, yes, I, I just want him because Jesus is the pastor of this church. He's the chief shepherd. I want him to look at everyone here at Oasis and just go, these people, and I want the community to know these people aren't full of themselves. These people know who they are. They know they've messed up. They've received grace and mercy. They've received forgiveness. They're open with their testimony of their brokenness and they're sharing and they're going out and serving because they love Jesus so much. Their life has been impacted. That's what I want. I want us all to be excited about that. I can't make it happen. I've tried all that. I've tried all the wrong ways to do that. But if you and I both follow after where I started in the beginning, that obedience to God you when you obey God, you receive blessing, not cursing. Obedience to God doesn't mean you don't have fun anymore. Can you just say amen to that? Can, can you all have some fun? Can we have some fun? Right? We can have some fun. We should be. We should have more fun than everyone else. Y'all got a little bit carried away about that. I don't know about that, Eric. I want to break out of that misery. Oh, my. Oh, I didn't read my Bible this morning. If you read, you know, the, uh, what's uh, Monty Python? Just be. We should enjoy being obedient. It is not a bad word. Wake up. Obedience is blessing and promise. And if I could tell you by, you know, watching kids half of my life 
that when they walk in safety of obedience, they are joyful. Adults, it is no different for us. We do not get a special dispensation of we can just tell kids what to do but not do what we say. Did I say that right? Yeah, I didn't. Okay. Let's have fun being obedient. Let's trust God in what he says about marriage. Let's trust God what he says about life so that we can be a city on a hill for his righteousness and his renown. Let's pray together. Would you please stand as we, as we pray? So we're getting ready to come to communion now, and communion is a time where we look and say, one thing we can say from this morning is, God, am I obedient? The other thing you might say is, God, I wasn't obedient. And I know it costs something. And if you've prayed that prayer many times before and you have not felt forgiveness, I would say to you that that is not God's intention. That you are living in a life of shame where God has given you victory over and you have not received it yet. Maybe this communion is a time for you to come and receive victory over the past failures and to go and sin no more. It's also a time for us to come, those who are regular tenders, and give back. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. God, I thank you that there were faithful men and women of old. Lord, help us to be those people now. In Jesus' name, amen.